0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at etoro.com. That's e-t-o-r-o.com. Crypto Law, aka Kelman Law, is a New York law firm run by some of the first lawyers to enter crypto in 2013, with expertise in litigation, dispute resolution, and anti-money laundering. Email them at info@kelman.com. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Tom Schmidt, junior partner at Dragonfly Capital. Welcome, Tom.
1: Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me on.
0: You wrote an interesting post last week on the liquidators in DeFi. You call them the secret whales helping DeFi function. Can you give a synopsis of your post?
1: Sure. So liquidators play an important role in the uh, collateralized lending ecosystem, which has really been booming on DeFi in the past uh, year or so. With and actually, different-
0: before you keep going, can you just define what liquidators are? Who they are,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, liquidators repay um under collateralized loans so that lenders get to remain solvent. Um, and in turn, for doing this, um, they get to co- collect a small bonus uh from the people who are borrowing and are about to default on the loans. So um, they play a really important role in making sure these protocols function as intended.
0: And I keep going with the synopsis of your post,
1: sure. So, liquidators, in short, help repay these under collateralized loans, or to make sure that lenders um, get repaid, um, and in doing so, get to collect a small fee, a small bonus uh, for actually um, repaying these debts. And um, we've seen sort of a burgeoning ecosystem um, in the liquidator, uh, or we've seen sort of a burgeoning ecosystem of liquidators form um, who are incentivized to to help repay these loans uh, because of these bonuses. So. It started out pretty small with just um, a collection of different individuals um, liquidating undercollaters, uh, MakerDAO CDPs. Um, but since the launch of Compound and DYDX, which both also have liquidation bonuses, uh, we've seen almost five million dollars in liquidation bonuses uh, be collected by the different liquidators over the past year. I think you know more broadly speaking, um, as with many different things in in, in crypto and, and DeFi. The ecosystem has gotten a lot more sophisticated. Uh, we've seen people employ uh, very complex strategies, um, very sophisticated pieces of code to um, outcompete each other to actually win these opportunities. It is a bit of a zero-sum game in a sense where you know, once a debt actually gets liquidated, there's no more opportunity for someone else to come in and liquidate. So um, there's these huge opportunities out there to you know win basically free profit. And as a result, we've seen sort of an um, arms escalation um, among liquidators to go and, and win this money.
0: All right, so let's back up a bit and just kind of make sure that everybody who's listening to this is on the same page. Um, why don't we just walk through first how secured loans work, and then and then you know get to the part on liquidators and how and how liquidations work. Just walk through. You know, you can pick which protocol you want to do, but just walk through one example so people. You know, so we make sure people understand.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I walked through a couple of different um, flavors and implementations um, across the different protocols, including um, Maker, Compound, and DYDX in the post. But I think DYD Compound is probably the most straightforward to understand. But a typical secured loan looks something like this. Um, Someone who wants to borrow an asset, um, let's say they want to borrow USDC, they place some of another asset, let's say Ether, um, into a smart contract um, and are able to, uh, borrow a lesser amount of the, of the other asset, um, from a pool of lenders who have already deposited, let's say that, that USDC into the contract. So if I want to borrow a USDC secured using my ether, I'll place $150 worth of ether into compounds contracts, um, and then withdraw hundred dollars worth of USDC. Um, so at this point, I was more, uh, Value secured in the contract than there is actually being borrowed by myself and people might use this for a couple of different reasons um, people use this to margin trade so you can get um, leverage if you use that USDC to buy ether you can use this to you know liquidate other uh, other collateralized zones for example if you need to borrow a different type of asset or maybe you just need to put you know some uh, you need some working capital that you can use you can put to some productive use so uh, there 's a couple of different reasons why people might go about borrowing this asset but ultimately People are incentivized not to, you know, run away with this loan by the fact that there is a greater amount of their their deposit um, still held in the smart contract. So I'm not going to, you know, run away with $100 to lose $150. Now, this equation sort of changes as, let's say, the value of the collateral starts to decrease. Um, So as soon as, you know, the value of the Ether gets below $100, you know, there's no sense in actually paying back that loan. But why would I pay back $100 to get back $90, for example? Um, and so this is where liquidators really come into the play. Um, they find those under collateralized loans. So loans where maybe they're starting to approach that, that threshold where it might make sense for the borrowers to run away with the, the profit or run away with the, the, the borrowed asset and basically take the collateral, some portion of the collateral from the borrower um, and repay the loan back, to, repay the borrowed asset um, back to the lender such that everyone remains, remains solvent. No one is actually losing any money other than the borrower who was about to potentially default on their loan.
0: And so why don't you maybe use like actual dollar amounts? So if you collateralize with $150 worth of ETH, you take out $100, then the liquidation would happen at one point and how, at what point And how much would the borrower end up with and how much would the liquidator end up with? Just so we have, you know, dollar amounts to attach to this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So the collateralization ratio uh, actually varies across different types of assets and different types of protocols. So um, really high collateral uh, or really high quality collateral uh, might require a lower lower collateralization ratio than something that's maybe more volatile um, or more likely to to fluctuate in value. So um, some pieces of collateral might require a um, you have 750% um, collateralization ratio, as is the case with something like synthetics. Um, but something like Ether, which is a relatively um good piece of uh, collateral, really high high quality piece of collateral, might only require 150% or 115% um in some particular scenarios. So, let's go back to a very simple scenario. The borrower wants to places 150 dollars in collateral, 150 dollars in Ether, into a smart contract, um, and then is allowed to borrow 100 dollars worth of Dai or USDC. Um, or or some other type of asset um, in return. Now th- this loan is considered um, solvent as long as they remain at this ratio, this 150 percent collateralization ratio. A lot of borrowers r- will actually place a larger amount of that uh, of their of their collateral into the into the um, smart contract just so that if the price of um, either you know fluctuates or decreases momentarily, you know, they're not at risk of being liquidated. So people might even place more than the required collateralization ratio. Now, let's say that the value of the collateral falls below that 150%. So let's say that suddenly the value of that ether that you placed in the smart contract um, now falls to $140. You're starting to approach that dangerous threshold where it might make sense for you to run away with the the loan. Um, And so at that point, um, these liquidators can um, find these potentially risky loans and make sure that, you know, lenders are being repaid with their owed. So, in this scenario, let's say that hundred dollars in USDC, a liquidator can step in, um, pay that hundred dollars in USDC back to the uh, original lender, um, so they remain solvent. There's no chance that they're going to lose their funds, um, and as a result, um, they're able to uh, basically get a five percent discount or a five percent bonus um, from the collateral that you've placed. So, in this scenario, that might be them, uh, you know, buying. You know, 140 dollars worth of ether um, for a price of 130 dollars or something to that effect. So they get this nice little bonus. Um, You get to get the remainder of your uh, collateral back. Basically, the liquidator takes a small, uh, is able to purchase your collateral at a small discount. Um, That's their their bonus and their incentive for actually monitoring um, the state of Ethereum and making sure that these these lenders remain solvent.
0: And. The liquidators aren't like literally watching this and trying to liquidate. They're like doing it in an automated fashion, right?
1: Yeah, um, there are a couple manual dashboards that have been set up where people can monitor and attempt to, you know, liquidate under collateralized loans. But I think you know, in practice, what we see is the vast majority of liquidations are performed by bots. Um, the same way, you know, you could in theory try to. Um, click arbitrage across different exchanges or different assets. But the vast majority of those opportunities also get eaten up by automated bots that are, you know, running 24 seven on on a server somewhere.
0: Great. Well, in a moment, we're going to discuss the future of liquidations. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com. Have you seen the MZO Visa card? A metal card loaded with perks, up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? Crypto.com has recently launched its exchange and crypto fundraising platform, The Syndicate. There was a 50% off atom listing event on February 12th, 2020. Sign up on the Crypto.com exchange now. Crypto.law is run by Crypto OGs in New York who understand crypto and fintech. They were already operating in the space back in 2013 and they accept crypto as payment. One of the partners, Zachary Kelman, is known for drafting a bill submitted to the U.S. Congress in 2014 aimed at exempting on-chain Bitcoin transactions from U.S. regulations. The other founding partner, his brother Daniel Kelman, became well-known in the crypto law space for his work in the Mt. Gox civil rehabilitation. So if you operate a fintech business or have a dispute with some person or business involving crypto, or you just need legal advice related to crypto... Info at Kelman.Law. That's K-E-L-M-A-N.Law or just go to their website at www.crypto.law. When you think crypto, think Kelman. Back to my conversation with Tom Schmidt of Dragonfly Capital. So I can't remember. I feel like you might have mentioned how much liquidators made in DeFi last year. Uh, it was $5 million. It's not a huge amount, Um, But, you know, do you feel like that's going to grow? And like, how many liquidators was that spread out over? Like, you know, per liquidator, how much were they making?
1: Yeah, um, that's another good question. I think, you know, the overall sort of trend that we've seen um, in DeFi liquidations um, is a trend towards more competition. So um, we've seen, you know, almost uh, seven times growth in the, the number of monthly active liquidators. So these are individual addresses that are attempting to liquidate alone every single month we've seen a you know, sort of margin compression where um, a, every single liquidator is is getting a smaller, smaller and smaller percentage of the total profits in the ecosystem. Um, and I think um, overall, we've just seen um, borrowers become a lot more savvy. So there are fewer and fewer opportunities to actually um, liquidate these loans um, because they're not even becoming under-collateralized in the first place. So um, borrowers can, uh, like I mentioned earlier, place some um, additional collateral ahead of time such that they remain above the required ratio um, and they're employing tools like um, DeFi Saver, which will monitor their loans for them. Um, and in the event that they start to become under collateralized, um, unwind their loan by, by repaying their debt um, such that they aren't subject to this, this is, to this discount. So I think overall, we're seeing more competition uh, from more and more sophisticated actors. And additionally, uh, I think the, the, the TAM is is starting to decrease as well, um, just given the fact that these borrowers are getting a lot savvier. I think. Going forward, there's also just some interesting opportunity um, sort of on, on, on the outskirts where, right, where a lot of people are excited by the prospect of under-collateralized loans or, or um, unsecured loans, uh, which would be more credit-based. And so there wouldn't necessarily be a piece of collateral that would have to get liquidated. Um, and so there's potentially competition from that coming in the next year. Um, I think additionally, um, you know, what we've seen in, is that this opportunity is so appealing because of this large fixed discount, Right. 5% of a multi-million dollar loan um, ends up being you know a pretty large chunk of change. but you know, the system seems to be working as intended here. so maybe these systems can get away with um, a smaller discount or a smaller bonus um, such that the system can remain solvent without um, overly harshly you know punishing these borrowers who are maybe close to default. Um, and I think we've seen a couple different protocols pursue this more um, variable-fee or market-based approach, um, such as Maker with their um, multi-collateral die migration. So I think there's also just an opportunity to move to smaller and smaller margins or bonuses over time for these liquidators.
0: And, you know, earlier when we talked about kind of the different protocols where this is happening, in general, where do you feel like liquidation activity is greatest?
1: So interestingly, um I think the majority of uh liquidation profit is coming from dYdX. Um I think this is for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, they have a lower collateralization ratio than most other protocols, I believe at the on the low end it's 115%. Um and I think on the other hand, um these 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 loans are often being used to, you know, margin uh, margin trade at relatively high leverage points, so 4x or 5x leverage. So, um they tend to have more liquidations, which results in uh, you know a greater opportunity for liquidators. Uh, I think also there's just a question of tooling. Um, Maker has some sort of default um, bots and some default tooling that you could run by yourself. DYDX also has some, which are, um, I think, a lot more approachable and have been out for a bit longer. Um, and as, as a result, I think this has attracted sort of a, an ecosystem of people who are um, interested in, in, in liquidating on DYDX. So there's a couple different flavors to um, how people actually go about. You know, running their liquidation bots, but ultimately, it requires some sort of um, code off chain that's running and actually looking for potentially under collateralized loans.
0: But like when you say that, um, that you know they have tooling for it, so it's not necessarily like kind of hardcore developer types who can do this. It's it's kind of more accessible than that.
1: Yeah, in in theory, anyone who can you know take a piece of code off of GitHub and you know deploy it on a server. Um, could potentially become a liquidator. Um, and I think, you know, there's sort of a, a growing appetite for for something like this. Um, I think, unfortunately, unless you have some sort of interesting edge or some sort of alpha, um, it's going to be very difficult to actually make this profitable for yourself. So um, we've seen some of the more sophisticated liquidators uh, employ strategies such as using gas tokens. So one of the largest costs for liquidators is just the fact that they have to submit an Ethereum transaction, which requires paying Ether to miners. And these transactions often get very competitive um, which results in a very high gas price and therefore paying even more ether. We see people pay $100 plus to get a single transaction mined. And that makes sense because that's, there's an opportunity to get maybe $100,000 in, in liquidation bonus on the other side. Now, what we see is that you know, some of these liquidators will use, as, as I mentioned, these gas tokens, which are basically subsidized uh, gas that gets mined when and, and are sort of saved um, when gas prices are cheap. Um, and then redeem when gas prices are expensive. So you can sort of bank low gas prices earlier on, um, and then when you know, the, the blockchain starts to get congested um, or when there's more competition to get mined, you can sort of deploy this reserve of gas that you have um, and basically outcompete everyone else because you're basically paying below market rate for, for whatever the, the going, uh, going gas rate is. So people get very, very sophisticated with um, you know the strategies that, that they employ to run these liquidations and I think as a result, it's um, growing increasingly difficult for um, a retail liquidator to actually uh, make meaningful profit in this ecosystem.
0: Wow, I've never heard of these gas tokens. How do you create those?
1: Um, it's sort of a weird uh, niche in the, uh, or a weird artifact of how the EVM is designed such that you can get a rebate for um, self-destructing a contract that you deploy earlier. So um, I include a link to, you know, I believe it's gastokens.io is the the website for this open source project, but um, basically you deploy a contract um, that you know saves some sort of space, and you get a rebate when you destroy that contract and um, you know free up that space in the EVM. And so uh, people will do this when gas prices are super low, um, basically just deploy a chunk of storage um, in, on Ethereum, um, and then remove it at a later date um, such that they were able to get back this gas um, and and use it for whatever sort of other transactions that they want. Um such as running a liquidation
0: <laughs> wow that's really smart. so um you know earlier you kind of were talking about the different ways that there's pressure on these liquidators and also how now the borrowers themselves are getting savvier. so you know do you feel like this is kind of a trend that was just at a sort of a moment in time but as time goes on we're we're gonna see this kind of go away or you know we're where do you think these people will go eventually?
1: Well, I think liquidations are always going to be a part of DeFi as long as you know overcollateralized loans um, remain a part of of DeFi. Um, I think the only thing that that changes is is the the market for this thing and and what the margins actually look like for the people running it. Um, I think right now or in, in historically we've been in sort of a you know high margin low volume ecosystem, um, but we're moving to more of a um, high volume, low margin ecosystem. So I think the the things that got us to where we are are probably not going to be the things that get, that get us to uh, an ecosystem where, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of, of loans are being issued every single day. It's just not going to be necessary to have this sort of um, large fixed fee in order to keep the ecosystem solvent. Um, and that's really the point of having this liquidation penalty is these liquidators are taking on additional cost, additional burden, um, and they need to be properly incentivized to actually um, repay these loans and, and make sure the system um, remains whole, um, and I think we've seen that this mechanism worked extremely well. Um, I think Alex Evans from from Placeholder did an analysis and showed that the median uh, liquidation collateralization ratio for um, Maker CDPs was one hundred forty nine percent, just one percent below their one hundred fifty percent target. So uh, these things are extremely good at making sure that systems design or function as designed. Um, and now there's just a question of uh, how can we eke more more efficiency out of these these uh, these protocols. Um, such that we can get more people onboarded, and then there isn't this sort of um harsh penalty that is imposed across the entire uh, platform
0: hmm. All right. Well, it's super interesting to see what's going on here. Um all right. Well, it's been great having you on unconfirmed. Thanks for coming on the show,
1: yeah. thanks for having me, Laura.
0: Don't forget. Next up is the news recap. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called CopyTrader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First up, 2019, the year Ethereum grew more confident. The 2019 version of the annual monster post, Year in Ethereum, is out. Authors Josh Stark and Evan Van Ness call 2019, quote, the year Ethereum grew more confident. The piece showcases the increasing diversity of the DeFi space, with significant funds in DeFi being locked in a number of different protocols, ranging from single-collateral and multi-collateral DAI to Compound, Uniswap, DYDX, Instadap, Synthetix, etc. Many of these, by the way, have been featured on Unchained or Unconfirmed. Some of the more interesting numbers in here include the fact that Uniswap liquidity providers earned more than $1.2 million in fees which was greater than the transaction fees paid in 2019 on Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Ripple combined. They also call out a trend that they describe as, quote, financial applications that look like games and games that look like finance. As one example, they name Together, the subject of last week's unconfirmed. But another one I would include was this week's launch of set social trading on token sets, which is a place where traders can publicly create and manage their own sets, and others can follow these trading strategies simply by minting a token that copies their trades. By the way, I'm not recommending anybody do this. In fact, just reading about it set off all kinds of alarm bells inside of me. But anyway, this is an example of financial applications that look like games and vice versa. And as for the 2019 year in Ethereum report, there's a lot more in there, so definitely check the full post out. Second headline, Square Crypto announces Lightning Development Test Kit. Square Crypto reveals a bit of what it's working on, a Lightning Development Kit, or LDK, that quote, gives wallet and application developers a convenient way to create custom experiences. They hope it will make it easier to add lightning capabilities to existing Bitcoin wallets and support multi-device, multi-application access to a single wallet. They decided on developing this LDK because they were looking to have an outsized impact on on Bitcoin, particularly non-custodial Bitcoin, and to meet an underfunded need of the ecosystem that doesn't have a clear business model. Meanwhile, Square, the funder of Square Crypto, won a patent for seamless crypto to fiat transactions. Next headline Bitcoin Cash Miners Create Infrastructure Funding Plan, setting off controversy. While a number of blockchain protocols, such as Decred, do set aside a portion of the block reward for a treasury to fund further development of the protocol, A recent plan proposed by a Bitcoin Cash miner raised eyebrows for how they plan to go about it. Jiang Zhur, CEO of BTC Top, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, wrote a Medium post on behalf of a group of miners representing a majority of the Bitcoin Cash hash rate. They intend to allocate 12.5% of the Bitcoin Cash Coinbase rewards to a fund to support Bitcoin Cash infrastructure for six months. However, he raised eyebrows when he also stated that the miners would orphan BCH blocks that do not follow this plan. They intend to initiate this on May 15, 2020. We will see what happens. Next headline. Yet another Libra Association defection. Vodafone. Well, an eighth company leaves the Libra Association. This time it's Vodafone. Coindesk reports, quote, Libra intends to admit new members to the association in 2020, a person familiar with the situation situation said. The waitlist is currently north of 1,500 companies. A roughly two-thirds majority of existing members must agree to add any new participant. Next story. DigixDAO votes to dissolve. Will distribute $64 million in Ether to token holders. One of the earliest token projects to have an ICO, DigixDAO, has voted to dissolve. The token holders voted to liquidate the ETH in the DigixDAO treasury worth about $64 million. The block reports, quote, DigixDAO raised over 460,000 ether in 2016 via an ICO. In total, the amount of ether was worth about 5.5 million at the time. However, its value has since gone up significantly. DGD token, on the other hand, was trading at a 60% discount to DigixDAO treasury balance last month. Thus, DigixDAO gave DGD token holders an option to completely dissolve its treasury. Hilariously, of course, now the value of the DGD token has gone up. So the market cap is now almost three times what it was a month ago. Okay, fun bits. The importance of digital bearer assets. Nick Grossman of USV wrote a short and sweet post about how crypto or Web3 applications enable a, a new user experience. He says, quote, By bearer assets, I mean that you just show up with them and they are respected, sight unseen, by whatever applications are expecting them. For example, a device that has Helium data credits loaded on it can present itself anywhere on the Helium network and it will start working. No user account, no credit card, no contract. Just show up holding the token and it will just work. I like how he describes it here. And in case you're looking for a way to explain what this is all about to newbies, I think that this is something that could be pretty easily grasped. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Tom and his post on liquidations on DeFi, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoy these news recaps, then why not sign up for The Real Deal, the weekly newsletter put out by moi every Friday. Some of you have asked me for the links to the stories I mentioned on the show, and now you can get them delivered right to your inbox. Go to unchainedpodcast.com right now to sign up. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.